Well, today is Palm Sunday, if you look at your calendar, but just like the uh, cartoon guys that come on there and tell us what we need to know about what the day is and different things, they talked about Palm Sunday, and we already covered that. This is the sixth Sunday in succession that we have been teaching some events that were vital to Jesus in his final week of life on this earth. And of course, one of them we talked about was the triumphal entry and the cleansing of the temple. That's what they were talking about. That's what basically Palm Sunday uh, has traditionally come to, to mean. It's a time of uh, celebration. They were happy to look for a new king, a new turn the page, a new outlook for Israel. They wanted something great to happen in their midst. And they thought when Jesus came in and all the hooping and hollering and the hosannas went up, that was the key to what was going on. Well, uh, we're going to skip forward just a little bit because we've already covered that. And we're going to come to the part that's called Good Friday. So today we're going to talk about Good Friday. So if you'll turn in your Bibles to Matthew, the 26th chapter, we'll look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you again for the opportunity to look into your word, allow your Holy Spirit to speak to our minds and our hearts, teach us what we need to know from thus saith the Lord, that we would be the people that go forth conquering and to conquer. So bless our lives today, Lord, that all things work to your glory and honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Next Friday, you're going to find that your calendar is marked as Good Friday. You know, that's April 15th. If you don't think it's a good Friday, ask the IRS. April 15th should ring a bell. That's when your taxes are due. Isn't that a great Friday? Wow, hallelujah. I'm, it took me about 65 years of filing taxes to finally get it right to where I file now and they don't owe me nothing and I don't owe them nothing. I just walk out, smile, and keep on going. So I appreciate that. They, I do get a, uh, I have to pay a small tax to the city of Mason. Not much. I have to pay that. And the state of Ohio gives me a tax return every year. It's $5. So I'm just hoping it doesn't break the bank when I cash my tax return from the state of Ohio for 5 bucks. But Good Friday is designated that way. And we don't really know who started, if you would, calling it the Good Friday, but it's a, a day that we um, look at it, and when we think of Good Friday and what Jesus went through on his final Friday of life before his uh, crucifixion, it's beyond me why they call it the Good Friday. I don't know. This morning, I'm going to go to the Scriptures and point out some historical facts that took place on that final Friday and the things that Jesus went through in, uh, if you would, in his death on the cross which took place on what they call Good Friday. In Matthew, the 26th chapter, I want to just start reading in verse number 57. Now i got to kind of set the background, so to speak, and where I'm talking about here, it is not yet Friday. It's close. It's late Thursday night 
when I'm reading in this part of the text, and it won't be till the beginning of chapter 27 that Friday, if you would, morning comes, and we're going to get into what happened on Friday with Jesus. But I want to set the background from the Thursday night. Of course, you know, and we talked about one whole service about Judas Iscariot. And what he put Jesus through, if you would, by leading the soldiers to the garden and having him arrested. That's where we're picking up, if you would, in verse 57. And they that had laid hold of Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and elders were assembled. Now I'm going to say something here. We know as we put this in calendar, historical, timeline, hour by hour kind of thing. This is still Thursday night. They shouldn't have been up that early. They should have been in bed long before this. We're talking sometime wee hours of the morning. And they were assembled. They had, a, if you would, heads up from somebody that something big was going down concerning Jesus that night. The arrest was going to happen. The betrayal was going to happen. And even all his disciples, as much as they wanted to stay and fight with him, realized the best thing they could do is try to save their own skin. So they all fled. They went their separate ways, all different directions. Uh, and we can read into some of that, but that's not the, the focus today. The focus today is... Why were they waiting on Jesus to be, if you would, drug by those that arrested him? Bring him to this council. What's going on in this council that is so important? This group of people known as the Pharisees, and we dedicated a whole service about four weeks ago as to the Pharisees and how Jesus dealt with them in his lifetime leading up to this. And actually, those are supposed to be the spiritual ones, the religious ones, the ones that had the inside track to the will of God for their lives. They were the ones that should have been the real leaders in Jesus' day. They should have been the ones that had to welcome Matt out for Jesus to come knowing that he is, if you would, the Messiah that was brought to this world for a purpose to fulfill everything God had laid out in a timeline that he had. Now, these are the elites. And they're the elites in the temple, the heads of the worship time. And they are, in their own minds, the judge, jury, and executioners of temple matters. What happened in the temple? really didn't bother Pilate too much. Pilate wasn't even really concerned about that unless it spilled over into some sort of insurrection or a riot of some sort and that he had to settle the issue. Sometimes the issues are bigger than the Pharisees or the chief priests or all those that uh, thought they were in charge was bigger than they could handle. Here we find them at their very apex worst. They've been consumed by hatred, jealousy, and envy, and it's all rolled up in one person, that Jesus of Nazareth. Who the group, when the, a group of people 
get with such a mindset as this, bad things are going to happen. It's going to get out of control in a hurry. This morning we are going to look at the scriptures and see some of the events that were perpetrated in the execution of the man that was the focus of all these men in this council's hatred. But to be true to this group, there were some of them that were pretty good guys. Some of those guys tried to do it the right way. They, you know, now I know there wasn't many of them, but at the, uh, some of them had an open mind about the truth of Jesus Christ and his earthly ministry. We can read about a man named Nicodemus. He was one of them. You can read about it in John the third chapter. If it wasn't for Nicodemus coming to Jesus by night, the truth of being born again, it'd been hard to find. But when he taught, it, taught being born again to Nicodemus, he made it so even a little child could understand it. Amen? Nicodemus, he was supposed to be a smart man, and Jesus just looked at him and said, You mean you're one of the leaders and you don't understand this? Come on now, Nicodemus, let's get it together. Let's move forward. Amen? So here we go again. Nicodemus, he had to take the course in being born again. Class 101, the beginning, right on up till Jesus. And Jesus uh, met with Nicodemus more than once, and I'm sure the conversation was still... I just really don't get this. I'm not really. But he believed and followed Jesus. Another one was Joseph of Arimathea. Now we'll not get to his part, if you would, his major part in his following of Jesus. But in Matthew 27, 57 to 60, he's the one that when Jesus was on the cross and, and gave up the ghost, he's the one that went to Pilate and said, Can I have his body? I'd really like to take him down and give him a proper burial. Amen? He wrapped him up, took him to a brand new tomb. See, back in those days, they recycled their tombs. They were open uh, caves, so to speak, with shelves cut out in the caves, and they rolled rocks in front of them to keep uh, other things out of there that uh, would go in and make a meal out of it, predators and different things. So they had uh, uh, shelves in there in these tombs, and eventually... Um, those bodies would rot away and all would be left as the skeletons and they would take those out and find a place for those bones and then the next body had a place to lay in the next funeral. Well, Joseph of Arimathea, uh, the scripture said he was a disciple of Jesus in the scripture that I quoted and he wanted to be the one that put Jesus in a proper burial where he laid. Well, um, it was pretty, pretty uh, temporary. Every tomb was. But Joseph didn't know that three days later that tomb would be available to someone else. How about that stuff? Usually it took a lot longer than three days before that tomb could be used by someone else. But Jesus had a different plan in his burial. So here they have uh, many there that had uh, honest-hearted Pharisees, if you want to say that. But... When the collective view of the mob is so stirred up, the honest have to hold their tongue so they don't become a part of those that are going to be executed along with the ones that are being accused of wrongdoing. 
on this particular Good Friday. For Jesus, it begins by a forced arrest, put on trial in the presence of Caiaphas, the high priest, and when the person with influence over all others becomes evil, evil influence is the mindset of the crowd. Caiaphas didn't have anything nice to say about Christ, and it was rooted in bitterness, jealousy, and hatred for the man that God sent to eradicate those things out of a person's life. The influence will manifest itself when a true verdict is given, and in this case it's given by Pilate, and yet the crowd will still want to yell, crucify him, crucify him. Drop down a couple verses into verse 59. Now, of course, the verse 58 has to do with Peter denying Christ three times. And, of course, the last verse in this particular chapter is when Peter heard the, cro the rooster crow in the morning. What's that mean when the rooster crows? When does he crow? In the morning. Okay, that's, uh, that's how they knew it was morning that they heard the roosters. Um, I, my daughter went down to Kentucky for the weekend, and she was on the front porch and called home to talk to Bonnie about things, about uh, what was going on down there and how they was getting along down in Kentucky. And she said, I knew it was morning when I heard all the roosters crowing. I guess here in Cincinnati she doesn't hear that many, but down there roosters are everywhere. So here we have the rooster crowing. Of course, that covers in, intertwined in the scriptures that I'm going to cover Peter's three denials of Jesus Christ that he told him he would do. But in verse 59, now the chief priests and the elders and all the council sought false witnesses against Jesus to put him to death. Why didn't they just call witnesses? Why do you have to call false ones? Oh, we know that answer, don't we? Because if they'd have called witnesses, they'd have had to release him. They wouldn't have had anything to charge him with to make him guilty. So they bring in the false witnesses. Amen. So if you look hard enough, you can find false witnesses on about anything you want to look at. And they'll give you a testimony that you need to make your case strong enough and solid enough to get the verdict that you're looking for. Well, here we've got some guys that in verse number 60, sure enough, they found a couple of witnesses that could agree. Now, in the other places in the scripture, it said they called for witnesses and none of them could agree. Some of them said this was wrong and that was wrong and he taught this and he taught that and he said this and he said that, but none of them could agree. Now they've got a couple that agree. And you know what they agreed on? Well, we're going to find out here. Finally, they agreed that Jesus said that he was able to destroy the temple. Now, remember, temple is the central focus of this Passover week for all the Jews. Two, two million Jews came to Jerusalem that week to celebrate the Passover. And it all takes place, if you would, as a central location in the temple. It was their meeting house. It was the big place to be. Everybody came. Amen. He said, if you know what? If you destroy the temple, I'll rebuild it in three days. And they agreed. Those two guys said, I heard him say it. 
Now, we know what he meant by that, don't we? You see, you can take anything that's a true statement, take it out of context, and say it, and it becomes a false statement. Amen? So what Jesus could have done is hired a lawyer, shouldn't he? And had him stand up and say, now, wait a minute, they took that out of context. Here's what the whole context, he did do that. He stayed silent. He knew what the will of God was for his life. He had that settled in his heart and mind in the Garden of Gethsemane. He said, Lord, not my will, but thine be done. Now, it's not going to be pleasant. It's not going to be good. It's going to be temporary. So just bear with me a little while, and we're going to get through this, and everything's going to be okay. Well, what did he talk about? He said, I'm going to rebuild it in three days in verse number 61. Well, they knew took 70 years for Solomon and all his laborers to build that temple. Him going to do it in three days? Nobody contradicted Solomon. He was the wisest. Actually, Jesus even said that. Uh, wiser than Solomon's here now, though. He said, yep, Solomon was pretty smart, but uh, he has to take second place now. But anyhow, we get into this. Just like any false witness, just take things out of context, say what you want, use it against you. The temple Jesus was talking about was his body. We know that from other scriptures. And of course, uh, in these scriptures, as we would look in them deep enough, but we're going to move on, just let you know that's where it's at. And he said, I'm going to raise up in three days. That was nothing more than a prophecy of his resurrection. It came to pass. Of course, it's hard for other people that got hatred in their heart to look beyond today they can't see their next step, let alone what Jesus is going to do for them in the, in the future. And they were publicly speaking there. He was speaking of his body and how God was going to raise him back to life on the third day. In verse 62, it appears that after these witnesses had their say, the high priest stood up and said, Okay, we got witnesses now that say what he said. And of course, they considered that blasphemy. Mm, blasphemy in the temple well that's something worthy of death amen you know we have um, laws in America that according to our constitution are worthy of death oh, did you know that treason's one of them actually blasphemy against the temple to them was treason wow you talk about serious well the high priest says okay verse 62 what do you got to say, Jesus? Jesus says nothing. Hmm. Well, you know these witnesses, they've made a strong case against you, and if you don't say anything against it, I guess you're guilty. Jesus still didn't say anything. He said, well, why don't you just come right out and let us know whether or not you're the Christ? My goodness, he's been doing it for three years. Every day, in the temple teaching. Time and time again. You know, if somebody's that hard-hearted to that three years of teaching, him coming out and just say, well, okay, here it is, point blank, I ain't going to listen. Matter of fact, they've already pronounced him guilty. <laughs> no sense talking about it anymore, is there? All right, so then we drop down, verse 65, then the high priest, to show how pious and religious he is, jumped up. Tore his clothes, rent his clothes, and anger as to the blasphemy and the contempt that Jesus showed in this trial. Wow! 
and accused him. He has spoken blasphemy, the scripture says. What further need have we of witnesses? Behold, now we have heard blasphemy. Whoa. Is that as bad as it gets or what? Well, that's their case. And so, if that's the case, he's guilty of blasphemy. Verse 66 says, what do you think? And they answered, he's guilty of death. Amen? So to celebrate their guilty verdict, they started slapping him, spitting on him. You ever been spit in the face? I got spit in the face one time. Now, I got to tell you, it was before I was a Christian. And when he spit in my face, that started a big fight. And I won. Amen. I don't like losing, and I don't like people spitting in my face. Amen. Now, 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 the, now that I'm a Christian, after, you know, 47 years, I probably now would turn the other cheek and let him spit on me again, maybe. No, I doubt it. It'd probably still be tussle in the mud. Amen. No, spit in my face. That's, and of course, there was words exchanged too. And, uh, but it started a real riot, if nothing else, between us two. And of course, we were young and stupid, so it didn't take long for us to get up and wash our face and clean ourselves up and apologize, and we were best of friends again. Amen. See, if the parents stay out of it and kids fight, it ain't long till it's over with and forgot about. Amen. I didn't forget it but I moved on. Amen. So here they are, slapping him in the face, and just to show that he's not a prophet, that he doesn't have anything prophetic to say. They said, all right, we're going to slap you, and you tell us through prophecy which is it that slapped you. Was that Joe or was that Bob? Was that Bill or was that Nancy? Who spit on you? Of course, Christ was silent throughout. Amen? And so they wanted to just try to mock him and make as much fun of him as they could. They've already got the guilty plea. Actually, the trial is over. It ain't even morning yet. Well, the cock's going to here in just a minute, and morning's going to happen. Amen? Of course, it goes on down through here to talk about Peter. And of course, then we move on into verse, uh, moving ahead. Um, they already got their guilty plea, and they just are out to make sport of him. They want to make sure that he's guilty of death, and they do all the things they do to antagonize him and just to bring it to a climax, if you would, by trying the uh, game that they're doing in uh, mocking him, in prophesying who slapped him. If that's not bad enough of a testament and bad enough treatment, uh, now they're going to take him before Pilate. All right, now I'm going to talk, I'm going to read a lot about Pilate and what happens there rather than talk so much about it. Uh, otherwise, see, all this took place. It took a whole day for all this to happen, if you would, and I don't have all day. But I'm just going to read some of this and talk to you a little bit about it. But because Pilate had the authority to pronounce a death sentence on a Jew in Jerusalem, they wanted him to go before Pilate 
and have him pronounce the death sentence because those chief priests and scribes, they could find him guilty, but they couldn't execute the sentence. Amen? Now, Pilate, being uh, the governor and a Roman, he was a leader, if you would, or governor in Jerusalem under Caesar, who was in Rome, and he had authority even beyond what a lot of people would have thought. So I'm going to turn over, and I like the way Luke expresses it. So let's go to Luke 23rd chapter and see how it works out for Jesus then. In Luke 23, it says, And the whole multitude of them arose. Now, you know what that means. It's morning. This is Friday morning now. The rooster already, you notice how they, they always have that in there. There's kind of like when we sing here, you know. Uh, I'm the only one that's on key when we sing here. I don't understand how that works. Everybody else is off key but me. I don't understand. But nonetheless, here he has Pilate coming into the picture because he's the one that can actually put some teeth in this guilty that they've got on Jesus. And they began to accuse him. We found this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding to give tribute to Caesar. Well, they had to throw that in because Caesar is Pilate's boss. And if you're cutting off Caesar, you're stepping on Pilate's toes right from the beginning. They told him that before they even told him about the blasphemy. You know, let's tick him off first and then we'll tell him why we brought him here secondly. All right? So they told him that and saying, he himself is Christ the king. Well, Pilate asked him, Are you the king? And he answered him and said, Thou sayest it. Then Pilate, to the chief priests and to the people, says, I find no fault in this man. Now, I don't know how long the conversation was with Jesus and Pilate, and if you would, maybe a secret chamber or a judge's chamber or the governor's chambers or where they went or how uh, proceeded but evidently they had a conversation long enough that Pilate said I don't know what you guys are talking about this guy didn't do anything I find no fault in him at all whoa and then they got more mad if you would or fierce it says in verse 5 and they stirred up the people teaching throughout all Jewry, beginning at Galilee, to this place. Jesus has caused problems all over this country. Oh, he's a Galilean? Pilate says, I didn't know he was Galilean. I thought he was a Jew. I thought he was one of you guys. Oh, if he's from Galilee, you know what that means? He's under Herod's jurisdiction. You need to take him before Herod. Of course, Herod has no authority to put him to death either. Now remember, what week is this? This is the Passover week. That's when all the Jews went to Jerusalem. And he says, hey, good thing, because Herod's in town now. Why don't you just send him over there? Wow. So here we go. When uh, um, he says that, it's in verse 7. He says, send him to Herod, for who himself also is in Jerusalem at that time. So evidently Herod wasn't there all the time, but he was for the Passover week. Well, Herod was glad to see him. Herod heard a lot of stories over the years. Now, you have to understand that we know that we had a problem with Herod when Jesus was born, right? We had a problem with Herod in other parts of the, 
the uh, scriptures. Uh, John the Baptist even got to meet a guy named Herod. And uh, now this is, if you would, in the lifetime of Christ, the third different Herod. So think of it as Herod being his last name and Grandpa Herod has already passed. Daddy Herod has already passed. And now we got Herod here. But he heard the stories about Grandpa. He heard the stories about Daddy. And he's heard the stories about Jesus. And the scripture said he was glad to hear from him. I'd like to meet that guy. I want to see if those stories that I've heard are true. He was exceeding glad and desires to see him for a long time, long season, because he had heard many things of him and he hoped to have seen some miracle done by him. Wow, if he could just do a miracle for me. Maybe come in and, and change water to wine right here in my presence. I, wouldn't that be great? Amen, or heal some lepers right here in my presence. I'd love to see that. But... Jesus didn't do any miracles then. And then he questioned with many words, but answered, Jesus answered nothing. Herod with his men of war, hmm, said him at naught and mocked him. Just ignored anything he had wanted to do, anything he said. Didn't mind slapping him. Didn't mind talking bad about him. Didn't mind pushing him around. Anything to antagonize him. Remember, these are men of war. They would love to get their hands on somebody that rebelled. Oh, so they're antagonizing him, hoping he could get something riled up inside and start a fight. That, if spitting in his face doesn't do it, I don't know what would. So he never did give them what they wanted as they, these men of war went after him. So what they did, they tried to mock him. They ripped his clothes off of him. Or they removed him. I don't know whether they tore him or not. I don't, they didn't tear him, I know, because um, his garment was later auctioned off and it didn't have any tears in it because it was seamless. And so uh, here they put on a robe on him, a gorgeous robe, and sent him to Pilate. They sent him, if you would, in a king's robe as a mockery of what he said about being king of the Jews. Now, verse 12, that same day, Pilate and Herod were friends. How about that? Isn't that something? They found some common ground. They, they got together and said, thank you so much for being my friend and allowing me the opportunity to meet this Jesus. Because that he, he found fault with him back in verse number four, he'd have never went to see Herod. Herod would have never got to see him. And he had the privilege of Jesus being in his court and getting to buddy up, if you would. And now Pilate and Herod were made friends together and before, there was enmity between them. Hmm. Wow. Isn't that something? How people that were utter enemies can be brought together if they can just find common ground. And Jesus was that common ground that day. Amen? So, Pilate in verse 13, he called together the chief priests and the rulers of the people and said unto them, you brought this man unto me as one that perverteth the people. And behold, I have examined him before you, and I find 
no fault in this man touching those things whereof you accuse him. There's nothing wrong with this guy. That's the second time he said it. He's not done yet, but that's the second time. Amen. And he said, I even went the extra mile. I sent him to Herod. What did you think Herod found wrong with him? You got it. Nothing. So he sent him back to me. Amen. And there's nothing worthy of death that he's done. So I'm going to just chastise him and release him. Whew. Boy, did that stir up the pot. What do he mean by chastising? Well, he, that's a scourging. Uh, you, those of you that saw, if you would, the Passion of the Christ movie, uh, I know my wife couldn't watch it. It was too gory for her. It makes her sick to see that. Blood flying everywhere and mistreatment. But if you saw that, I can tell you the scourging he went through, Hollywood cannot duplicate it as real as it really was. It was really harsh treatment that he got there when they, what they called scourged him or what um, Pilate called chastised him. Amen. I remember when my dad chastised me. Whew. I haven't forgot it yet. Still sometimes hard to sit down. Amen. But here we find them being, uh, if you would, wanting to chastise him. And you can actually, if you studied into this, see how cruel those people could really be in the treatment of Jesus. And I know it's much worse than what I saw when I watched the movie Passion of the Christ. With all this mistreatment of Jesus going on, and the trial at this point, as Jesus was looking back, was a piece of cake. Amen. Now they spit in his face. They slapped him around. They made fun of him and on and on and on. But now once the, the Romans get to doing it, they are experts at torture. They really knew how to make somebody sorry they did something wrong. Amen? So here we go. And it's a scourging that they do. And of course then it leads into the crucifixion. Now the crucifixion, was supposed to be ultimately to bring death to the victim, which it always did. But it was a very slow, very painful, very agonizing death. And actually, as you went through the process, for the most part, you was glad when death finally came your way for what they put you through in what they called a crucifixion. Amen? They were students in how to make you suffer when you was uh, given the verdict that you needed to be put to death. Amen? So it served as a deterrent to crime in the city. I don't know if you remember seeing in the Passion of Christ every street that goes into Jerusalem and historians tell us there was crosses all the way down the road. Yet we only know of three that got crucified. Jesus and the two thieves Yet they showed it there as pictures, and, and it was, it's told of us that crucifixion was pretty common. All you had to do is step on the wrong person's toe. Amen. Or if you didn't give enough money to Caesar, or you did something wrong with Pilate, whew, you had a cross waiting on you. There was going to be three crucifixions that day anyway. They already had it set up. Pilate already knew that. 
But in this case, they had a problem because they had one guy that deserved to be on a cross and one that didn't, and they got to change positions. We're going to talk about that a little bit. But we know that this crucifixion thing was a deterrent to crime, and because of all the previous killings that these Romans had done, they know that people coming into town knew they better watch their P's and Q's or they'd be the next one nailed to a cross. Amen? For the most, uh, most innocent person in Jerusalem that day and on Good Friday, crucifixion as a sacrifice for your and my sins seemed a long ways off in understanding what was taking place. Sometimes when our flesh goes through issues, problems, circumstances, illnesses, disease, you name it, it kind of distracts us sometimes from the real thing that God wants us to focus on, and that's the spiritual part of our life. But in this case, Jesus is focused like a laser. He's not looking at the cross. He's looking at the victory on the other side of the cross. He's looking at the fact that you and I can have our sins forgiven only after he has been crucified as the uh, Lamb of God that sacrificed for the sins of all mankind. Amen. Again, Jesus was fully aware of his mission on earth. He was conscious of everything he was facing. And he found the grace of God to be faithful, to face it all for you and me. Amen. Now I'm going to turn over and we're just going to leave that where it's at. Of course, you know that Barabbas got set free. He was an insurrectionist. He was a murderer. He, he, all those things about him. Uh, he probably deserved a cross as much as anybody that ever was nailed to a cross. But he was set free because that was the way that the mob or the crowd could say what Jesus did was worse. We'll accept the insurrection. We'll accept the sedition. We'll accept the murder. We'll accept everything Barabbas does as long as you kill Jesus. We got to get rid of him is about their mindset. In John 19, and here's Jesus on the cross. I just want you to know when it all comes down to it and Jesus has gotten to where he's um, made all the, the uh, preparation, if you would, all the things he's taken on. He's put them all behind him, if you would. He faithfully wanted to do what his father sent him to do. He spake his final words before he died in John 19 and 30. He said, it's finished. Now, what was finished? Well, naturally, he's talking about his life because he said he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. In other words, he died. So it's finished. But what was finished? The plan of salvation. The links of the chain are now connected together. All the blanks that nobody understood in the things of God's plan for salvation, now all seem, the pieces of the puzzle are now coming together. Guys' minds and hearts are being opened. Of course, there are other things that happened. The sun didn't shine for three hours, and they wondered, what's that all about? And then when he died, it even says that the veil in the temple rent in twain from top to bottom. Well, that's pretty miraculous, being that it was about 60 feet high. So it wasn't like somebody tugged on it and it tore. 
It was from the top down. And you know why that was? It wasn't so they could see in. It was so because God was leaving. Amen. God used to live in that holy of holies. And they had to go in there blameless before him. Well, not anymore. He's done moved up and moved out. Amen. And as he left, the, the veil over the temple ripped in half. You see, his earthly mission was completed. Amen. The cross is a spiritual symbol of how much Jesus loved us and how much he cared for us. You know how much it was? That much. That's how much he cared for you. Amen. Salvation was now paid for. Amen. God's will for man is now in the hands of, if you would, of a man named Jesus who brought the victory and now sin has been defeated. The door is now open to the kingdom of God by the blood of the Lamb of God. And our redemption is now available because Jesus said, it is finished. It's done. Everything's happened. With all the pain, with all the agony, with all the suffering, victory was established to the glory of God in the body of Jesus Christ on the cross. That victory, to me, is why it's now named Good Friday. It was a hard time for Jesus to get there, but once he said it's finished, it's time to move on. Amen? Everything's established. Everything's going to work out according to the plan of God. And Jesus knew it wasn't easy, but it was worth it. Let us stand.